Well, good morning, Central Heights. My name is Tim. It's my privilege to be with you this morning and to share from God's Word again. We've been looking at the Lord's Prayer, and so if you want to get into your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13 is where it's covered, and today we're going to be looking at the phrase, your will be done. We'll be talking about the will. When you hear expressions like, I want, I desire, I purpose, these are verbal expressions of the will, and the will is uh, important. It's, It's critical to who we are and the choices that we make, the purpose that we have and the direction that we end up going on, and it shapes us, it it has such an amazing impact, and so you think of all the decisions you make, like even this morning I was reflecting on what happens when we wake up in the morning. For many of us, you had an alarm go off, and when you heard that alarm, it goes like, like maybe your body wakes up first, and then it begins a conversation with your mind. I'm not exactly sure how the science of it all works out, but you have a conversation with your mind, and your body says something like, no, 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 it's too early to wake up. Um, it's not right to wake up. Hit the snooze button. And so you might hit the snooze button, and then, you know, the conspiracy might start between the body and the mind. And so you start to, things go around, and like, yeah, you should sleep in all morning. You should not get up at all till late in the morning. But then at some point in there, the will awakens and it has a more rational conversation with the rational part of the brain. And, you know, it says something like, no, you should get up. It's good for you to get up. I mean, Tim, it's your job. So uh, you want to get up. It's a Sunday morning. And so after a while, you know, there's this conspiracy, there's this battle, and uh, this morning at least, the will won. The will, the will to come here won. So welcome to Central Heights Church, and I'm so glad to be with you. See how it works? The will, the powerful, the influential will. And so this morning, as we talk about the subject of will and your will be done, know that we're talking about something that very, gets very personal to who we are, to the core of our being and the choices that we make. So it begins in this prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And I want to open up this morning by just praying that God's will will be done among us this morning, his name will be hallowed, and that his kingdom will come as we look at his word. Lord, we bow our heads before you, and uh, God, as we talked about last week, we want to acknowledge our deep, deep need for you, that you are the one who gives daily bread. You're the one who provides for us physically, but you also feed us spiritually. And that's what I'm asking for this morning, Lord, that as we look at your word, your Holy Spirit would come and feed us. Lord, we want to feast on the truth of your word and our relationship with you. And so, Lord, bring it. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Your name hallowed in this place and for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. The will. Three things I want to look at this morning, first of all, as we study this so that we can pray it better and live it better, is that there are competing wills. Secondly, we're going to talk about that God's good will is both general and specific, but also certain and responsive. And then lastly, to pray God's will be done is to participate in the best for ourselves and the world. So let's begin with the first, the idea of competing wills. Jesus taught us to pray, your will be done. So it's not Fred's will, not Anita's will, not my will, not your will, not anyone's will, but your will be done. And for Jesus to have to teach us to pray that way, it just insinuates there must be other wills that are at play here. 
that, that are in conflict, that maybe don't want what God's will does and wants. So, so we have to pray that it will happen. We have a will. And that becomes quite obvious even early in life. You see it in children, like these sweet, innocent babies. By the time they hit two, all of a sudden you realize, hey, kids have a will. And they exercise it. And you wonder, what happened? Did they go to school for this? Like, what? where did they get this attitude from? And then, of course, the will continues to grow and develop. And, and I look back at my own life and how I was for a brief stint as a teenager. And man, I'm, I'm sad to say, like some of the ways I exerted my will against my parents' will, I'm not all that proud of, but I'm, I'm thank, thankful for God's mercy and grace. The point is, we have a will. We have a will. There are other wills other than God's will. One of those is ours. Beyond that, Scripture also points out there, there are, is the will of the world. So in 1 John chapter 2, it talks about the world. And it says, the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so it's, it's characterizing that the world has desires of its own. It has a will of its own that it characterizes it. And in contrast to that is the will of God. And so those two things can be in opposition to one another. We also read in Scripture that the evil one in this world has a will. So when Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, at the end of that chapter, he talks about how Timothy should speak and converse with those who, who are beginning to believe and act on different things, on false, false things, on, on lies. And he says, you know, you need to bring the word of God to them in humility because some of these people, as you do that, God, if God perhaps will allow them to be freed from the snare of the devil, who, at, who are captured by him, the devil, to do his will. So the world is characterized by a will. The devil has a will. You have a will. And then you have friends who have a will. You have people who want to influence you who have a will. So all this is going on. And I, I thought of the idea. This is like WrestleMania. So think of yourself in a wrestling ring. In one corner is the world. And, and the, the culture of our world can be so strong. It can be a beast. And it just wants to beat you down so that what you will will just climatize to our world's culture. Then you have, you have the devil who's out to, to get you. You know, he, he's, he's not out for your good. He's out to do you harm. And so he'll work outside of you. He'll work within you so that you'll will to do things that are not God's will. Then you might have friends who, who are trying to influence you in a way that is not towards God's will. And then you've got your own self and sometimes you realize that you are being pulled in directions and you wonder about your own will. Do I really want to do God's will? It's all at play. How do we do it? So as we think about this, um, I think of just one of the examples of scripture of how we can be pulled. I think of Paul's instruction in regards to sexual purity. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he writes, For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, Paul writes. So this is really clear. This is the will of God, what I'm talking to you about. Your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. And so the instructions are very clear. And yet there's this wrestling that goes on with it because our culture, for example, I mean, to look at sexual purity, that is, that, that sex should be kept, you know, only in the, in the context of a man and a wife committed to each other in holy marriage. Like, that's looked at. Like, you're backwards. That's prudish. And then we think of Satan. This seems to be one of his favorite temptations. 
sexual immorality. Like, like that's what he loves to, to major on. And then you may have friends that are trying to influence you towards this. Come on, loosen up. And maybe even the one you're with is pushing you that way. And then you have your own self and your own body, which can be tempted to go that way, all of which is not, from as we read Scripture, it's not clearly God's will. And so we, we're put in these places where we're in a WrestleMania, where we're being tugged and pulled. How do we live a life according to God's will. How can we pray what Jesus is talking to us about here with integrity, where we are living God's will, where we are praying God's will, that this is what we want to have happen? That's the journey of where we're going this morning. In Ephesians chapter five, we read these verses. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. If we're going to pray, your will be done, we need to have a good understanding of what God's will is. And so secondly this morning, we want to look at God's good will is both general and specific. It is certain and responsive. But it begins with the idea that God's will is good. This is where any conversation about God's will has to, has to land here at some point. This is central, that God's will is good. And we need to believe it. I think it's too easy for us to hear that statement, God is good, and we, we think of it in general terms. Yeah, God is good generally. He's good out there. You know, he's good in, uh, to other people. But we, we need to understand when we talk about God's good will that we need to believe it for ourselves. Can you believe that God is good towards you? That he loves you? And his will, his intentions for you, are loving and good. Can you really believe it? See, this is such a crux to the matter. And we see that put to the test right in the beginning of, of God's story. When you read in, in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, and you see the first couple walking on the earth in, in right relationship with God, and God gives them one commandment, one clear will of God. Don't eat of the tree of the, of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Like, just don't eat of that. And the tempter comes in chapter 3 and he begins to put doubt into their minds as to does God really have their best in mind for them? So did God really say that? And then, well, well, God knows if you were to eat that, you know, you will be like him. In other words, God is withholding something from you. Don't you see that? And, and the tempter tries to put Put doubt on the goodness of God's will. This is always the crux of the matter. When you dig deep down, do you believe that God's will is truly good, not just for everybody else, but knowing myself with all my flaws and failures, can I believe that God's will is good for me? Can I believe it? Can I believe that God's thinking about me all the time? Psalm 139. That his thoughts towards me are like the sand of the seashore innumerable. God is thinking about me all the time. Can we believe that God would love me even when I fail and I blow it? Can we believe, like Romans 5 tells us, if he would die for me when I was his enemy, in other words, I was on the other side, I was resistant to him, can, can I believe that he would, he would love me if he died for me as an enemy? Surely he must love me as one who's proclaimed faith in him and walking now as his child. 
Can you believe that God loves me when I think of how he gave his son Jesus? Will he not surely along with Jesus, Romans 8, give me all things? It's not withholding. He wants to give and he's proved it. He's shown it most supremely through his son Jesus Christ, through his life, death, and resurrection. But can I, will I believe it for me? God's will is good. Let's go deeper God's will is both general and specific. I don't know if you've ever worked for an employer who didn't give you a clear job description or you had no idea what your employer wanted. And then if that employer was also temperamental and moody, like that is just a, that's a recipe for disaster. Like how, like how do you know what to do to, to please, you know, your employer? You just, it, you just don't, it's just so frustrating. God has made it very clear for us as to how we can live in a manner that is pleasing to him. He's given us a number of what we call commands. And when I say commands, so often we hear that word and immediately we go into thinking negatively. That, that commands are restrictive. They, 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 you know, they hold us in. They, they don't let us do what we want. They're bad for us. But, but when you see that God is good and he's pure good, then whatever he would command would be for your goodness. Then we can embrace that God has he's made clear to us how we can live before him in a way that pleases him. And this is not only for his good, but for our good as well. I like to use the illustrations of boundaries and bullseyes. So there are times when God gives specific revelation that are like bullseyes, but much of what God gives to us through his commands are simply boundaries. And God is saying, hey, this is how I want you to live within this framework. And so he's given us a number of commands. And Jesus summarized those in two ways. He says, you know, the, all of what you've been given, he said, can be summarized as this. Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, body, soul, and mind. And secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. As you read the New Testament, you see how that's fleshed out in detail so that we can, we can extrapolate, okay, what does that look like in everyday living? So we are to make disciples. We're to keep the unity of, of the faith with other people, with the church. We're to strive to, to keep that unity. Husbands are to love their wives. In all our family contexts, we're to relate to one another in a way that pleases God. We're to live in sexual purity, as I talked about earlier. We're to put others ahead of ourselves. And we're to take care of the needs of the poor. All these things are like clear fences that, that within those fences we can now live freely making choices and freedom. Always looking to how we can please God in these things. Knowing that he's shown us what boundaries we can live within. It's beautiful. But he's also given us specific revelation. You see, there's no way God's word can cover every situation that people will encounter, that you will encounter, when you think of all the ages that, and timeline that God's covering with his word to speak into. Like for, for centuries and centuries, it's so different today than it was in the 5th century, than it was in the 10th century. And here we are in, in our century today. It's so different. There's no way God's word can cover every detail. And so we have questions sometimes as how to live God's word in this specific moment of now, in this time, in my circumstance. And God does give bullseyes. He gives the specific. And we see that in his word. We see uh, the Apostle Paul, who knew he was called to be a messenger to the Gentiles. I was very clear in his life. 
God made it clear to him his general purpose for his life was to take the gospel to the unbelieving Gentile world. And so he goes on missionary journeys to do that. On his second missionary journey, I'm sure Paul and his his team, they got together, they prayed, they talked about strategy. Where are we going to go next? Uh, To which Gentile region shall we go to preach the good news? And so they had it in their mind, I'm sure after strategizing and praying, we're going to go to Asia. And as they purposed to do that, though, we're told in Acts chapter 16 that they got special revelation. The Spirit of God said, no, you're not. I don't want you to go to Asia. God wanted them to go to Macedonia. He opened doors there. You see, as Paul was living in the general command and, and will of God that he knew to be true to his life, as he's you know, daily living his life in dependency upon God that way, in comes this special revelation. God's good will is both general and specific. The problem we run into is when we get so enamored with the specific and ignore the general. We read in Ezekiel chapter 7 where the prophet uh, speaks corrective words to the people of God there. And he says to them, disaster comes upon disaster. Rumor follows rumor. They seek a vision from the prophet while the law perishes from the priest and counsel from the elders. So I hope you see what he's saying. The people are saying, "Give give us a specific revelation, God. Speak to us by the prophets. We want to hear your voice. But meanwhile, Ezekiel says, you're completely ignoring the general will of God. You're ignoring the commands that he's given to you in his law. Like it's perished in your midst. We need to value, we need to embrace, we need to want to know and understand and live in the directions that God has given to us in his general will, showing us how we can live day in and day out in a way that pleases him. And as we understand that more and more, we can pray into that. Your will be done, taking the general and praying it into specific areas of our life. And as we live that way, there will be times when God will come and he will speak to us in very specific ways, either for us to pray into or to actually act out. I've I've experienced this in my life numerous times, the, the case that came to mind as I was thinking about this was we were church planting a number of years ago. We lived in Abbotsford. We knew we were going to move to Vancouver and plant a church there. Uh, Weren't exactly sure where, and one of the first things to do was find out where are we going to live. And so we, uh, we were exploring different options. Couldn't buy in Vancouver at the time. I mean, house prices were like 300 and some thousand dollars. It was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, We couldn't buy, so we knew we'd have to rent, and we're scouring the classifieds, and uh, I'd been in, we'd looked, hadn't found anything, and one day I was looking at the classifieds, and and I can't explain it to you except to say I knew. I read this classified, and I knew this is the place. You're going to be living there. I, I believe God gave me a specific revelation. And so we called them up, uh, we arranged a time when we could be there, uh, but there would, you know, in Vancouver, even back then, um, rental occupancy was at such high demand, so there's, you know, there's like lots and lots of people that want to rent any, any place that is available, and if a place is nice, like the demand is so high, but I just felt like God had spoken this to us, and so I, I drove into Vancouver. I brought one of my daughters with me. I think that was a little bit of strategy. You know, she was like five, seven years old, and we went there. We looked at the, at the house. 
We were going to look at, we were going to take the upper floor, and my little daughter was there, and yeah, they took a little bit of shine to her, so it was really good, you know, really good maneuver on my part, and we started to talk, and um, we realized we shared our values, where we shared the same values, and long story short, but that was the place. This was the one, and a few weeks later, we moved into this place, and we lived there for for three, four years, and I can't tell you how strategic that place was to our ministry in Vancouver and the relationships that we developed in that area of the city because that's where we lived. And the doors that God opened because that's where we lived because he gave us a specific revelation. This is where I want you to be. Three, four years later, we had to move because the, the family who lived below who were children of the owners were going to move upstairs, and so... Our next house, we, we didn't get any specific revelation. We made our decision based on wisdom and thinking about what would be best for the glory of God and the ministry that we're doing and, and our finances. And we evaluated all those things and committed it to God in prayer. But there was no special revelation. We just made a decision on the best of our ability and it turned out to be a wonderful place. You see, God's will, is his good will, is both general and specific. And as we live our lives wanting to please him, wanting to bring him glory, he's given us so much as to, we don't have to wonder how to live, but we can live freely within those boundaries, those, those fence posts and guardrails and like children play in that area. And then every once in a while he calls us over and says, hey, I have, a, I have something special I want to reveal to you. There's something you need to know very specifically because we want to do his will. God's goodwill is both general and specific. It's also, <clears throat> excuse me, general and specific. It's also, what's the next word? I had a brain cramp. Are you listening? Tell me, come on. It's certain and responsive. So sometimes when you're talking to people about uh, prayer, they will say, well, what's the point in prayer? They're not really intrinsically motivated because they think God will do what God's going to do anyways. Like, prayer is just academic because who can stop what God wants to do? We need to, as in understanding God's will, we need, to, we need to realize, yes, there are things about God and his will that are absolutely certain. And we can look back on history and we can see how when God decrees something, it's going to take place. Before the foundation of the world, it was in his mind to send his son, to have him live on earth at a certain time period, to die a brutal death on a cross, and to rise from the dead. And there were a whole bunch of details that would be involved when that took place historically. And so his prophets would speak about that like centuries before it happened because God decreed they were going to happen that way. We look back and we go, wow. Like when God decrees something, when he says it's going to happen, it is absolutely certain. And that should give us incredible faith and joy and hope for the future. I mean, we've had a number of people in our church uh, go on to graduate into the next life uh, recently. You know, people that have, have passed on. And, and when we think about that, we, we, we sorrow, but we don't sorrow the way other people who don't know Jesus do. Because there's a certainty in God's word about what's going to take place in the future. We know absolutely for certain, according to God's word, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, that God is going to dwell among his people, that there will be no more pain, no more suffering. We can be absolutely certain of that. 
that he will unite all things in Christ. That's why you want to be in Christ. That's why you want to be in a relationship with him. Because one day in the culmination of history as we know it, he's going to unite all things in Christ. And it's going to be a different world. We can know that for certain according to God's word. It's beautiful. It's cause for faith, hope, joy. But there's also a part of God's will that is responsive to people. That God doesn't always get his will fulfilled the way he would want it. I mean, that to me is is amazing. Knowing the power and who God is and his personhood. How is it that some of his will he could let be unfulfilled? But we see that in Scripture. One of the most obvious places is when we look at 2 Timothy. And we look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 when it talks about how we should pray, first of all, for the leaders, for those that are in authority. And he he says to Timothy, so that we can live peaceable lives because God wants everyone to come to a faith in Jesus Christ. We read in 2 Peter where it says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should repent and turn their lives to Jesus. Is that, that's clearly the will of God, that every person would be in a living relationship with him. But is that true of everyone? Has everyone repented? Does everyone repent? Does everyone embrace Jesus, even though that is God's will? That's his desire? That's what he wants? No. God lets it go unfulfilled. As we read God's story from beginning to end, we see that God created human beings in his image. And being image bearers, we are given this ability to make a choice that we can say yes to God or we can say no. And so throughout history, God is, he's kept going after his people with love, wooing them to himself. But he will allow people to reject him, just that they did when Jesus came, just as they're doing throughout the centuries to where you and I live today. And the reason Jesus hasn't come back and fixed everything is because he's not willing that everyone should perish. Because there are people out there that if they heard the news yet, they might embrace him and come to a faith in Jesus Christ. God is allowing his will fully to be unfulfilled in order for there to be more to come into his kingdom. God's will is both certain And it's responsive. And we see this then, how this applies to prayer. Because if everything's done, then what's the point of praying your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? In other words, we're praying that things would be perfect. They would happen here in our sphere as it is in heaven where everything happens perfectly. What's the point in praying that if it's going to happen anyways? Because just as God works in response to people in receiving or rejecting him as Savior and Lord, I believe God works in response to whether or not his people will pray. I don't know why God works this way. I don't know why he wants to partner with us in prayer, but he does. There's some amazing stories in Scripture that just highlight this, emphasize this so strongly. In 1 Kings chapter 18, there's the story of Elijah the prophet. He hears from God. He gets special revelation from God. He has prophesied to the king Ahab that there's going to be a drought. It's not going to rain for years. And that happens just exactly as he says. But at the end of those couple of years, the word of the Lord, it says at the beginning of 1 Kings 18, comes comes to Elijah and he says, it's going to rain. It's going to rain. 
And as you read through that chapter, there's this battle with the prophets of Baal and God shows himself mighty and powerful, but it hasn't rained yet. So Elijah gets on his knees and begins to pray and pray and pray. And he asks his servant, do you see anything yet? Do you see anything yet? And he prays until the servant says, I see a cloud the size of a man's fist. And Elijah knew God was going to fulfill his word, but somehow in partnership with Elijah's prayers. When James writes to the church in James chapter 5, and he recounts what it looks like to pray powerfully, he says the effectual, effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. In other words, it causes change. It has impact. And what example does he use? Elijah. And he doesn't talk about the sovereignty of God. He talks about Elijah's prayers. The two work together. That as this righteous man fervently prayed, God affected change. God's will is both certain and responsive. It's responsive to our reaction to him, but also to our partnership in prayer, which brings us to our third point. To pray that God's will be done is to participate in the best, both for ourselves and for the world. Does God want churches to be healthy? Does he want our marriages to be healthy, our families to be healthy? Does God want more people to come to a, a living faith in Jesus Christ? Does he, want to be, does he want the poor to be taken care of? Yes, 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 and yes. And we can participate in God making these things happen by how we live, but by also how we pray. As we enter into it and we pray as Jesus taught us, oh God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we do that, we participate in the best we could possibly want for ourselves and for the world. My question to us as we're being tugged in different places as we live our lives is how do we get to that place? How do we get to the place where we want God's will with urgency? Because that's how Jesus is teaching us to pray here. Your will, God, oh, it must be done. How can we pray and live with that kind of urgency that we live our lives, we're always thinking about, how can I live according to God's will? How can we make that happen? As I've reflected on this over and over again, the word that comes to me is very simply this, surrender. It will only happen with surrender. That's what wills do. Wills either exert themselves or they surrender. We must surrender our wills to God's. We must say, God, I want your will more than my own. But this cannot be some sort of self-disciplinary action where I'm going to grip my teeth and surrender my will to God. The surrender has to happen in a different way. As we look at the word surrender and what it means to surrender and we think about will and rights, it's interesting that the, the leaders of Jesus' church after he left often referred to themselves as servants of the Lord. The word in Greek is doulos, and it, it means slaves. I, Paul, a slave of the Lord. I, James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he begins his letter in James. Those words were inscripted on a bulletin this weekend for one of our saints that passed on to be with Jesus. His name was Jim, Jim Hemmons, and he wanted his life to be a reflection of those words of James, I, Jim, a servant, a doulos, a slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Larry Bieber, who gave the message yesterday, was so powerful, reminded us how we get to that place. It's not by self-discipline. He described three things that get us there. First of all, you have to have failed in your life. We have to come to that point where we realize that, you know, living life according to our will is not going to work. So as you live long enough and you think, okay, I'm going to do it my way, and you fail, and you, I'm going to do it my way, and you fail, and I'm going to do it my way, and you fail. Like, we, we come to that place where we realize maybe my will is not the way to live a flourishing life. We have to have failed. Secondly, Larry said, we, we need to realize that God's will is good. We talked about that already this morning. But there's a third thing, and it's all about love. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, there's... There's some commands, if you will, that are given to God's people. Deuteronomy is the rehearsing of God's law that Moses gives to his people before they go in the promised land. And in it, he talks about provisions for for slaves. One of the things that could happen among the Jewish people is if somebody got into debt in a huge way and they couldn't pay it off and they realized there's no chance of paying off, they could offer themselves to the person who they owed the money as a slave for a period of six years. And it was a good deal for the slave owner because that person would work for basically half the going wage. After the end of that six-year period, though, the master was to completely release that slave and to endow that person with all kinds of gifts and provisions so that they could have a brand new start to life in a good way. But here's what else could happen. There was a provision in this law that if the slave so loved his master and so loved the master's family, he could wave his freedom and say, I want to live with you for the rest of my life. James, a slave, of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. How can we become ones who urgently desire God's will and pray for it to happen? It doesn't happen by gritting our teeth. It happens as we enter into a love relationship with God. As we relate to him on an ongoing basis, as we see him in his word, as we communicate with him in prayer, we realize more and more what an amazing God we have who loved us so much he sent his son and loves us to empower us with his spirit that when we're in that wrestlemania, being pulled from one direction to another, that I can actually have God in my corner working in me both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's all about love. So I want to encourage you this morning as you think about this and as we continue to dive deeper into the Lord's Prayer Don't let this be a a, a sort of one thought and done. I want to encourage you to pray into the Lord's Prayer with great thought and with great desire. And what I've been doing, saying to God, as I think about your will be done, God, may your will be done in me. Give me a desire for your will. Change me, Lord. Help me. Work in me both to will and to do of your good pleasure. That's God's will for your life. And he's going to be in your corner. And I believe you're going to see things happen because you've given him permission. And he's responding in his perfect will to you. Let me close this morning in prayer. Then we're going to sing and worship. And then we'll close the service. God, I thank you for your great love for us. I thank you for your will, Lord. 
I thank you that nothing can uh, stop what you want to do. And I thank you that your promises are yes and amen in Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that you loved us so much that you also gave us the freedom to love you back freely. And Lord, I just want to pray and ask that your Holy Spirit would work that in us to a greater degree, God. May we really see you as you are. Open our eyes, Lord, to behold your majesty and the beauty of your love for us. And Lord, would you just enlarge our hearts, shed abroad in our hearts by your Holy Spirit a love for you and a love for each other and a love for our world. And Lord, cause us to be people, Lord, who enter into that participation with you in prayer, Lord, so that we do see increasingly your kingdom come, your will be done, your name hallowed on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.